Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. What a special week this will be ahead of us. It's Master's Week. It's the first major of the year, and as we remember from the crazy pandemic that we're still living under, but last year in 2020, the Master's was held in November, which is crazy, but here we are back in April, and... It's the traditional week for the Masters. There's so many stories I want to get to, but the first thing I want to do is talk about what happened last weekend. I was so honored and happy again to be part of the broadcast crew for the Drive, Chip, and Putt from Augusta National, my seventh year in a row. I started from the very first competition. Nobody knew what to expect. It's a great collaboration between the Augusta National membership the United States Golf Association, and the PGA of America, three incredible organizations that started this event because they want to grow the game. They want to bring awareness to what the game can do for you in your lifetime. And I speak from experience that getting into golf was the best thing that ever happened to me. It's taken me places I never would have been able to travel to. I've met people I never would have been able to meet. I think I've played with five presidents now. And that's all because of golf. And yes, I had success along the way, which was a result of a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. Yes, but the game of golf is one for a lifetime. And I feel so fortunate to be able to have lived the game of golf and my life with that game in it. But the drive, chip, and putt last week, if you remember, it was canceled last year in 2020. So all the kids that qualified in 2019 were grandfathered into this year, 2021. So everybody was a year older than their age group, and it was really incredible to see. You don't remember, but when you're 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, when you mature another year, it's incredible what happens to you with obviously your strength and your ability and your agility. So we saw some incredible young boys and girls with what they've been taught and how they play the game. My first thought on the drive, chip, and putt is that the PGA of America, they're teaching professionals, the thousands around the country, do an incredible job teaching the game. Now, as a tour player, I benefit. All of us that play the tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, the LPGA Tour, the European Tour, around the world, all the competitors, the playing professionals, we benefit from the hard work that these PGA of America professionals do. They're the backbone of the game, pure and simple. They teach the game, they grow the game, they sell the game, and they motivate people within the game. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner, you're six years old, 10 years old, or you're 75 years old. They they help. They help to help you understand the game and how to hit shots and how to play to your very best. So I remember seven years ago when we got to Augusta National for the first drive, chip and putt, we didn't see a lot of ability because it was the first year. Nobody knew what to expect. We had some of the younger kids could, some could hit it, some couldn't. They could, they could maybe hit some low runners off the tee. Their chipping was okay. Their putting was decent, but there wasn't a lot of proficiency. Fast forward to this year, this past weekend, oh my gosh. I didn't see a bad swing in the group. I didn't see a bad chipping technique or a bad putting technique. It was kind of fun to see all the different grips 
that we see in the world of golf nowadays on with the putter. You've got everything from conventional to crosshand or left-hand low to claws to saws to the coocher, which is up the left arm. There's so many ways to putt it. And as we all know, it doesn't matter how you do it. It's that little number you put in that box on the scorecard, which means everything. It's what you shoot, not how you do it. But it was really fun to be doing the telecast with Mike Tarico and Paige McKenzie. We were in the booth. And then down on the ground, we had Aaron Oberholzer, who's a really good friend of mine. And he's a got a bright future in the broadcast world. Kay Cockrell, who we all know from the LPGA Tour. She's had a long career. And Steve Sands, who I think is one of the most professional, one of the most abled broadcaster in the game today. And we introduced and had on the team Cheyenne Woods, who was roaming and giving some insight about the kids. But back to the kids. Again, they were a year older. But all the fundamentals that I work on, that you work on, that we see in the game were were exhibited by these boys and girls. Big, wide turns, still head in the backswing, an incredible turn through the ball, and and a hard release. One of the things I've noticed, and I guess you could call it the Bryson DeChambeau effect, everybody works on speed now. And we said it on the telecast that when Aaron and I were growing up, and Paige, we basically talked about rhythm and tempo, trying to put the ball in play. I remember playing a lot with Fred Couples and Curtis Strange and Hale Irwin and Tom Watson and Payne Stewart. All we tried to do, Tom Kite, Brad Faxon, we tried to make a smooth, controlled swing, put the ball in play off the tee so you could attack the pin from the fairway, the short grass. Well, that's not the way it is anymore, and it certainly is filtered down to these 8, 9, 10, and 11-year-olds because when I watch them, and if you happen to watch the telecast, you'll know what I mean, we watch them get up on the tee, and before they hit their one of their two drives, they would make a practice swing that you could feel through your television set. It was hard and it was fast because they're trying to develop as much speed and much club head speed and as a result ball head, uh, golf ball speed to get the ball out there as far as they possibly can. And we had some kids knocking it at 275 up that hill at Augusta National on the tournament practice area and it was cold. It was not a warm day. It was a bright sunny day, but it was cold, especially early on. But I was just so impressed by watching these young kids. But speed is the game now. That's the one thing that all these teachers that I've worked with that are now working with kids, they're working with speed sticks. They're employing the way that you can try to generate more speed, swinging the club harder, swinging a light club, a heavy club, swinging it left-handed. Get on your knees to swing it right-handed and left-handed, trying to unlock that speed in your brain. Now, it sure helps when you're 10 or 11 or 12 and you haven't gone through a career like I have trying to be controlled and rhythmic with tempo. I'm trying to gain speed too because that's the one thing that I've lost in my game as I still play on the Champions Tour a little bit. But the reason I can't play out there as much is because I don't hit it as far. I have to work hard to get my clubhead speed to 100 miles an hour. So I'm messing around with things, trying to swing the speed sticks, trying to do what the kids do and swing faster and swing harder. When we moved from the driving range to the chipping area, I was a little disappointed in the older kids. The younger kids' chipping game was far superior to that of the older 
participants. And again, I think that's because a lot of the kids are trying to develop that speed and they probably stand on the range and and hit drivers and try to whack balls as hard as they can, probably a majority of the time. But I'm here to tell you, if you want to win and you want to progress to the next level and the next level in your game, no matter who you are or how old you are, it is all short game based. You can get away with the tee ball that's in the rough, but you can't get away with a a chip that you chunk or a a putt that you miss, a three-footer or four-footer. So it was really surprising to me to see the kids chip better, the younger kids chip better than the older participants. I found that to be fascinating. And the putting was pretty equal. They do a really good job in that because they give you a 30-foot putt and a 15-foot putt. The 30-footer is uphill and the 15-footer is downhill. So what it does is it makes you have to adjust to the different speeds and the different grasses, which is what playing the PGA Tour or playing an amateur tour or playing junior tour around the country is all about. You have to be flexible and adapt to the conditions. I don't care if the wind's blowing, if it's rainy, if if it's wet, if it's dry, if it's hard and fast. If you want to be a player, you have to adjust your game. As we see players like Nicholas and Tiger Woods and Faldo and Trevino and Palmer, all the great players throughout the history of the game, they're very adaptable. They can change in an instant. And that's what I think the drive, chip, and putt is trying to do, especially with the kids on the putting green. But really a great experience. And before the drive, chip, and putt, I wasn't on the broadcast, but it was the Augusta National Women's Amateur where... I think they started with 80 women and then they cut it to the low 30 and they got to play the final competition on Saturday before the Sunday drive, chip, and putt. And again, I watched that on TV and I'm just blown away with how talented these women are. I think we're in great hands with the future of the game simply because these young boys and young girls are so poised. They conduct themselves with great class and great sportsmanship and integrity, which is what the game teaches you. I learned that a long time ago when my dad and mom took us out to play golf, and it's exhibited right there this past weekend at Augusta National with the Augusta National Women's Am and the Drive, Chip, and Putt. It's a magical weekend heading into the first major of the year. I'm a sports nut, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports. But Mondays are for golf. Once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete, whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world, I know I'll find what I need on Global Golf Post. It comes to my email every Monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. 
and it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, and not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. I want to share a couple of funny stories from my years playing the Masters. I don't know how many times I played, maybe a dozen I never really played that well because my short game wasn't that good. It certainly is not as good as it is now. I should have taken my own advice and worked harder on my short game rather than working on my long game, but I never really chipped or putted that well. I I did well enough to win on tour and to get to Augusta, but certainly not good enough to have a chance to win a green jacket. But I remember one year, I think he was my second or third Masters, I was so nervous, and back then we had Sam Snead, Byron Nelson, and Gene Sarazen hit the ceremonial first tee shot on Thursday morning, and I was on the probably second or third group teeing off, and so I'm hitting balls, warming up, I'm hitting putts on the putting green as they're doing that ceremony, which is a a tradition which is really great to see, to see the legends of the game get out there and hit a shot. And now this year, we're going to have Jack, we're going to have Gary Player, and Lee Elder, which is going to be a wonderful thing to see. But anyway, back to the story. So Byron, Sam, and Gene Sarazen hit their shot. Well, little did I know that they were going to sit on the first tee and watch the players tee off. Well, that's the last thing I want to do is be under the scrutiny or the watchful eye of these three great legends of the game. I didn't know them. I was new on tour. I really hadn't had the chance to get to know any of them. But sure enough, I walk over the first tee, and I I cannot for the life of me remember who I was playing with. I think it was somebody from South Africa. I can't remember. But we get over the first tee, and Mike Cowan is caddying for me, and I'm wearing a Toyota visor. I've been with Toyota and Lexus forever. And I've got a Toyota visor on my head, and, and I walk over and I introduce myself to Gene Sarazen, Byron Nelson, and Sam Snead. Shake their hands, and they say, good luck, congratulations on getting to the Masters. I walk back over to my bag, and I hear Gene Sarazen say to me, hey, Peter, how much do they pay you to put that car on your head? And people start chuckling. One million, two million, five million? And I'm thinking, why in the world is Gene Sarazen, who I don't know, why is he giving me a hard time about this? I'm just about to hit my first tee shot at the Masters. I'm already nervous. My hands are sweating. My palms are wet. And everybody's chuckling, laughing. I'm like, what? what's going on? And he says, ah, you kids today, you would do anything for that corporate money. And I'm looking around and everybody's not looking at me except they're all chuckling, laughing. So I don't know what to do, but my playing partner, and again, I can't remember who it was. They said, on the tee, so-and-so, four, four, please, playing, driving, now driving. 
and he hits his tee shot. Now, I wish I'd had the sense to let that go, but I didn't. So as I got to the tee, they said, on the tee now from Portland, Oregon, Peter Jacobson now driving. I put the peg in the ground, I put my ball on the tee, and I start to address the ball, and I back off, and I said, Mr. Sarazen, well, you're right. In honor of you, I'm going to take this car off my head and put it on my bag. So I walked over and I hung my visor on my umbrella, which was on my bag, and I backed up and I said, uh, in honor of all your accomplishments and winning the green jacket and everything you've done for the game, I will. I don't want to offend you or anybody else. So I backed up, started to hit my tee shot again, but I stopped and I looked back. And this is the moment you wish you had these words back. But I looked back at him and I said, but Mr. Sarazen, something tells me that as a tour player, you might have done the same thing had they actually had automobiles back in the day when you played the PGA Tour. Well, as you can well imagine, everybody started howling. Sam Snead and Byron Nelson, they laughed so hard, they fell off their camp chair on the back of the tee. And Sarazen gave me a look. He didn't think that was funny. (laughs) And I got over my tee ball, and I hit the biggest slice to the right of the bunker on the first tee, almost out of bounds, because I was over that shot regretting what I said, being kind of a smart aleck, but trying to have some fun in the same vein. First tee of the Masters, let's joke around, but clearly the squire wasn't taking it. So I ended up making double bogey six. And I remember to this day thinking about that. And it's fun to think back now how funny it was and and I was just, I was protecting what I was doing, protecting Toyota, the visor on my head, the car on my head. But man, oh man, if I had to do it all over again, I would have sucked it up, just hit my tee shot and uh, forgot it. Whenever you have a chance on the PGA Tour to win a tournament and that gets you into the Masters to Augusta National, it is an absolute thrill. And that happened to me quite a few times. I was lucky enough to to get there and play quite a few Masters tournaments. One year, I was playing well. I got paired with Jack Nicklaus in the, I believe, the third round. Might have been the last round, but these negative things in your head, they stick, but you try to fade them away as you'll understand why. So we're playing Jack and I. This is the great Jack Nicholas, who at this time, he and I had become friendly. So it was a comfortable pairing for me and for him, I think. So we both parred one, we both birdied two. So we're doing well. And as we get to the third green, there's the big Augusta National Masters scoreboard left of the third green. And we hit our drives in the fairway and we hit our second shots on the green. The whole location is front left. It's precariously perched right by the front part of that green, which slopes from back to front. And the greens, as you know, historically are so fast in Augusta National. And if you don't don't have a a feel for the greens, you're going to have a really tough week. You're going to three putt a lot. So I'm one under for the day. I look on the board and there's my name on the leaderboard right next to Nicholas's. Bottom half of the leaderboard, but still within the top 10. And I was 
swelling with pride and obviously wasn't paying attention to my next putt, which was from about 15, 16 feet down the hill toward the front of the green for birdie. And Mike Cowan, Fluff, and I are reading this putt. And I remember the last thing he said to me was, hey, remember, Peter, this is pretty quick. So don't get too frisky with this. So I'm thinking, well, I'm going to knock it in. I'm going to make two in a row and uh, show Big Jack, show the Golden Bear what I got. So I hit this putt. And again, I trickle it. It's fast, lightning fast. It's like putting on a linoleum floor with a tilt downhill. So I hit this putt and it's creeping down the hill. It gets to the hole and it misses on the left side. And there's groans from the crowd, but it doesn't stop. It keeps going, trickling, trickling, trickling. And the pin might have been four steps from the front of the green, 12 feet. It doesn't stop. It starts creeping and I'm thinking, well, it's going to stop on the fringe and I'm going to have a 10 or 12 footer back for par. Uh Uh-uh. It keeps going. It goes through the fringe off the front of the green, and you know that third green is elevated quite a bit from the fairway grade. It goes down 30, 40 yards off the green, down into a huge hole that's some 20 feet below the putting surface. People are now, (gasps) they're horrified watching what happened. And it wasn't a bad putt. It was a pretty good putt. Almost went in, but it kept going. So Boy, talk about the ultimate embarrassment. Hit a good shot, put it off the green. So I very nonchalantly walked over to Fluff, handed him my putter. He grabbed the bag. We went down in front of the green. And I've got this chip or putt or pitch or whatever you want to call it up this bank. Now, there's about five different ways to play it. So I decide to try to lob it up the hill, take a sandwich and throw it up in the air, hit a flop shot. Well, I did. I hit a pretty good shot, but it doesn't get all the way up. It stops and it rolls agonizingly slowly back to my feet. So I'm now laying four. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to make on this hole? Because that's the nightmare. That's what can happen at Augusta National. You can put yourself in positions where you're going to make huge numbers and it blows your tournament right there. So I didn't know what to do. So I grabbed, I went back for an eight iron and I pitched it into the hill and I, and I fumbled it up there and I got it on the green about eight feet. Pretty good shot in this, for the circumstance. I'm nervous, I'm embarrassed. And I ended up knocking the putt in. I had kind of a downhill putt, same thing, but I knocked it in and I made a six, made a double bogey. And those are the situations when Jack Nicklaus, the great Jack Nicklaus, who... Probably has done that many times himself, but he's not going to look me in the eye. He's not going to say anything to me because when you when you try to lament to a player about something that just happened, you know it could happen to you. So we quietly went to the fourth tee and nobody spoke about it again. Fluff and I, we didn't even talk about it. And again, I don't know how I finished that week. I didn't win. I always had a pretty good Masters championship always had a had a good tournament I don't think I missed many cuts but I never contended like I said I was a pretty steady kind of a middle of the road kind of a player but having the opportunity to play at Augusta National so many times and be immersed in that aura and the the wonderful spirit the history and the tradition of the Masters is something I will never forget and I will never forget putting it off the green on the third hole playing with the great Jack Nicholas either. 
Unfortunately, it's seared in my brain forever. ask me all the time now when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Srixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, And they put it in my locker. It was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams. And eventually, I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. I want to leave you with a few master's picks, very unscientific more emotional picks. My favorite going into the week is Jordan Spieth. The reason is he's coming off a win at the Valero Texas Open last week, which you could see coming. I believe you see trends in golfers. They either play well in streaks or they play poorly in streaks. You could see that trend going up or going down, but you could see it with Jordan over the last five, six, seven weeks. He was trending in the right direction. So to see him win at the Valero, in San Antonio and hit the shots he needed under pressure that told me that he's back. And I think, as you know, he's won at Augusta before. I think he's going to win again. The other player that I think will contend is John Rahm. I love John Rahm's golf swing. I love the way that he bombs it. He's got good control and I like his attitude. You can tell his passion. He really shows his emotions, but I think that's fine. Look at players like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods probably showed his emotion more than anybody in the game, which I love because you can tell that they care when they show that emotion. Another player that I think will do well is Matt Kuchar. Matt Kuchar's got the short game. You have to have control of your wedge game, your pitch game, your bunker game, and your putting game to win or to contend at Augusta National. 
you got to mention Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson. Those guys obviously are on everybody's favorite board every week. But the one guy to keep your eye on, maybe maybe my dark horse, is going to be Victor Hovland. Young man from Oklahoma State. I, I just like the way that he swings the club. I like the way that he has such a great time when he plays. He's already won on tour. He's aggressive. He doesn't seem to have a weakness. So those are the guys that I think we're going to see on the leaderboard come Sunday. Yes, you're going to see Justin Rose. I could go on and on. There's so many guys. Patrick Cantlay is another one who I think could be there. But it's going to be another run to the green jacket on Sunday. And funny enough, even though it's a limited field and it's probably the easiest major to pick a winner because of the small field, I still think there's going to be a jockeying for position. Nobody ever really runs away and hides. So I think that'll be the same thing come Sunday, the final round at the Masters. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours? Yeah.